what's up? I'm your host, Bob Thompson, and welcome to Unleashing Greatness, the number one show for people who are ready to finally start or scale their own business and do it successfully. Over the last nine years, I've scaled my little basement business to 15 plus locations and several other businesses, but it hasn't been without trial and error and lots of adversity. I'm here to share with you the strategies and tools that actually work when running a business and how not to lose yourself while doing it. So if you're ready to unleash the greatness within you, let's dive into today's show. Hey, thank you so much and welcome back to Unleashing Greatness. I'm super pumped for today because we have a good friend of mine, Eric Van Horn, joining us, which I thought it would be a really cool one because a lot of the questions I get asked, and I don't know, we're in like a unique space, which is franchising, which is how did I franchise? How can they franchise? And with those questions, I figured there's nobody better to talk to than you. So I'll give a quick little little blurb about kind of who you are, uh, and then we'll we'll dive in. So for those who don't know, Eric Van Horn is actually both a franchisee who has had multiple franchises, some pretty solid exits from them as well, and then he's also a franchisor. But he's like a walking encyclopedia when it comes to anything franchising. And then on top of that, he's just an absolutely great human being with an absolutely lovely family uh, and a beautiful place out there in, uh, in South Dakota. So with that, dude, thank you so much for being here. Dude, Bob, it is so good to be here. And I'm uh, looking forward to this, man. Good to see you. I uh, appreciate it. So for those that are listening who aren't really familiar with you and, and my intro probably didn't do it justice, uh, could you kind of tell everybody a little bit about your story, how you got started in business, how you got started in franchising, uh, you know, so they can get a better, clearer picture? Yeah. So I got my start in franchising when I was in my 20s. So I was uh, took the LSAT. I was ready for law school. I was a straight C student. So that was going to be a disaster. Uh, you know, going to law school and all that that entailed. And then I saw how many hours uh, attorneys actually worked and they were working for a wage until you could become a partner. Then you could actually experience leverage. And I thought that's just, that, that is not what I wanted to do. So I, uh, I quit before I started my first class. I bought a truck, a lawnmower, and uh, some shovels, and I started a little lawn business. And I was out uh, one hot summer day in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, working on some lady's house, planting flowers, and she came out with some water. And she basically said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was taking real estate classes at the time, uh, ready to become a real estate agent. And uh, I was watching Carlton Sheets videos, which means you're almost a real estate investor with no money down. And I said, I want to be a real estate investor. And she said, oh, we did that 20 years ago. I said, well, what do you mean? She's like, we bought a condo down by the beach. Not, not a beautiful condo, like a condo down by the beach. And she said, we did it for uh, tax purposes and we want to sell it now. I said, well, how much do you want for it? And she uh, said, nothing. We want somebody to take over our payments and pay the closing costs. And they had a tenant in there. And I said, are you sure? And she said, absolutely. You look like a nice young man. We would love to sell it to you. Now, I had no money. I spent my money on a truck and a lawnmower and some shovels. And so I, I uh, at that point, called up my parents. And I said, hey, if you want to pay the closing costs on this house with me, we will buy it for, um, for, for nothing. We will just take over her payments, which, by the way, 
She'd been paying on for 20 years. So appreciation and paying down the loan for 20 years. And it was an assumable mortgage. So all we had to do was pay closing costs and assume that mortgage, which you know had 10 years left on it. And so we eventually did that. And I partnered with my parents on that and they paid the closing costs. I eventually gave them half of the money back for that for the closing costs. And I sold it to them within a few months. And I made my first large chunk of money. Large to me is more money than I made in my entire life combined, uh, you know, a year over year at that point. Yeah. I started to look at some different franchise opportunities because there's a, a franchisor in Virginia Beach, which the franchisor is like the parent company. It's like the McDonald's, the Subway. So I was looking at different businesses and I rolled my profits from that to buy my first franchise. And uh, that's how I got started in franchising. So I was in my 20s flipping real estate, got my real estate license. And now I bought my first franchise, which was Liberty Tax, living in Virginia Beach and bought my first store uh, that I started in Kansas City, Missouri. Dude, that's, so I actually didn't even know that. I didn't know that you were about to be a lawyer and you're like, screw this, <laughs> which I think was probably an absolutely amazing uh, decision. And that you actually got in real estate first. So yep. since you were in real estate and you said, hey, I made my first large chunk from that or large chunk at the time. And obviously, you know, when you're younger, it's different than you know later on. Why not continue in real estate and keep kind of doing, you know, flipping with real estate and developing real estate and getting into uh, the franchise? Like what made that decision happen? So I was doing both at the same time. So okay. I was selling real estate and then I stopped selling real estate to focus on the franchising, but I would continue to invest in real estate. So at that time, this was before the real estate crash. And we were, I, it was me. When I say it was just me at that point, yeah. wasn't married. And I had uh, connections in the real estate world and with attorneys uh, that were closing on houses and did all the paperwork. And they were investing as well. They had bird dogs out there, you know, the we buy ugly houses people finding these mm -hmm. deals, they're wholesalers. And, but they were bird dogs and they were working specifically for the attorney or for somebody else. And they would find deals that weren't large enough for my attorney at that point. And so he's like, Hey, Eric, you know, here's a deal and you can have it because we don't want it anymore. And I would kick him a little bit of money and I would right. take over that particular deal. And we were buying, I was buying houses subject to. So what would happen is there would be a deal. There'd be somebody that was behind on their mortgage. And I would come in and say, I will pay off, you know, I will get you caught up on your mortgage. So it's not going to destroy your credit. You can live in it for the next X period of time. The reward is I just had to pay on their house. I just paid the mortgage and it seemed like the check was coming from them. And I did a quick claim deed, which gave me the house. The, the risk involved was if the mortgage company ever said, I don't want Eric paying for the mortgage. I want, you know, the original mortgage uh, person paying for the mortgage. They could call that mortgage due and it would have to be paid in full. So that okay. was the risk that rarely happened. So I had done probably five deals up to that point and I was making, you know, $20,000 a deal. And then I got married and I was ready to do a little bit bigger deal. And I had mm -hmm. uh, bought that house subject to, and then all of a sudden I couldn't sell it. I was getting ready to lose money on it. And I eventually okay. lost money on it. And I was married at this time. So I'm thinking my wife is thinking I suck at real estate. I'm in a real estate investor that, that is losing money on this deal. And so I lost yeah. money on this deal and I said, I quit. And then that was the beginning of the, of the real estate crash. So looking back, I didn't know it was a real estate crash, but it was the beginning yeah of that. So that's really why I got out of real estate investing and then doubled down in franchising at the time. 
That's awesome. So since you had your first franchise, how many different franchises have you been a part of? I've been a part of like six or seven different brands in different mm-hmm. in different types of roles. So some of them has, have been as a franchisee and some as a master franchisee or area rep or area developer. They're called different things. So yeah. three different brands, I would buy regions and then I would sell franchises in those regions and then get a percentage of the royalties, typically half of the royalties for doing that. So I get half of the franchise fees and half of the royalties for growing okay. a certain region and so that's, you know, I've done done that and then just as a normal franchisee. Cool. So I want to talk obviously a little bit later about franchise being a franchisor and everything that that entails, because obviously that's what I am. And I, that's a lot of the questions that I kind of get asked. But before we get there, since you have been involved at multiple different levels as a franchisee, mass franchisee and all of that, somebody listening to this may be thinking, hey, that's how I want to get started in business. I don't want to, you know... I don't want to like come up with my own idea necessarily. I want to have that business blueprint. So if somebody's looking into, you know, purchasing a franchise, what are some things that you would recommend that they look out for? So when you're looking at a franchise, you want to talk to existing franchisees. Like that at yeah. the end of the day is a thing that you really want to do. There's mm-hmm. franchisors that are all over the board from emerging <laughs> brands to established brands. So depending on how much uh, risk you want to take early on is also the reward with a brand that may not be proven, or you go with a brand like Subway that's been around forever but is really consistent. You can talk to thousands of different franchisees yeah. if you want. Most people are going to want to uh, get with a brand that has a handful of franchisees that are already open because they typically have availability in the areas that people want to buy. So I would first ask yourself, one, do you want to be an entrepreneur? If you want to be an entrepreneur, franchising is a great way to do it. Or if you just want to be an investor and you want to find an operating partner, it's a great way to do it too, because the franchisor is training your manager. So right, really established entrepreneurs with significant net worth love franchising because they can put an operating partner in place and the franchisor trains them. But for the average person that's wanting to get into business, franchising should be a safer way. And I say should be because not all franchises are created (laughs) equal. Should be a safer way with a proven business model with uh, somebody with a a staff that's going to help you uh, avoid a bunch of mistakes and hopefully accelerate your growth. So that's, that's what you're really looking for. Yeah. I obviously say if somebody's looking for a franchise, they should just look at Legion, but, uh, you know, I'm extremely biased. That's the first thing that they should do. That's the first thing that they should do. It's the first thing. There's actually no other franchises out there. No, especially in the fitness space. Definitely in the fitness space. (laughs) So that's actually super interesting because I don't, I don't think that a lot of people think about that as a way to, Hey, here's a way I can almost diversify my portfolio. Mm -hmm. You know, I, that, you know, I kind of talked about this with uh, one of my team members, like at least for the gym space, gyms, they're not a passive investment per se, because you have to be, you or somebody else has to be actively involved in it. So, but that is a really cool way. Whereas, you know, once you have something established, maybe you have another business or you've made, you know, you made money in a different route and you don't want to be in the day-to-day having, having that operating partner is an absolutely great way. Especially if like, you have that person that's passionate about it. We'll relate it back to fitness because obviously that's what I know. But if you've had that like amazing coach or amazing trainer or something like that, or somebody who knows the industry really well, they just don't have the capital to do it. Would you say like, that's a good person that that person can kind of find and get behind? 
you know, in order to get it going. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen it in fitness. I mean, that's why private, think about this. I mean, private equity is coming in to buy out different fitness concepts, franchisees in different fitness concepts. Yeah. So private equity doesn't go into fitness concepts and want to run it themselves. They find the jockey that can, you know, the right, the right horse, you know, the right fitness concept. And then they have a, a operating partner that can go in and run the thing. And that's happening in the fitness world. So if it happens in different fitness concepts, it can happen in Legion. It can happen in, in multiple different franchise concepts. You know, that's a really good point. So we just did our Legion convention. And one of the things that I talked to my franchisees about the ones that are currently system and they're getting open is your business is now an asset. So it doesn't matter if it's the Legion concept or any other franchise, you know, any brand, like if you're a franchisee, now you have this asset that eventually somebody's going to want to buy. And especially if you're in a good concept, it's going to be even more appealing. I don't think, you know, cause I think even for me, that was one of the first things I saw you talking about that recently. And I was like, Oh shit. Like that is super true. That even if you're a franchisee, cause if you, you could have five, 10, 15 locations, that's extremely enticing for somebody that want to go in, swoop up, add to their portfolio. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, when they get into franchising or business, they don't think about an exit. They're thinking just about cash flow uh, mm-hmm. versus the asset value or the exit value on whatever concept it is. And so whenever I'm talking to people about franchise, I want to know why, why do they want to grow it? And there's some concepts that are great for cash flow, and there's some that are just great for just building up, you know, massive equity. And some concepts mm-hmm. you can't, you're real, all the cash flow goes back into buying more equipment, more things, more stuff, and then it's ultimate exit play. And, and they're they're wanting to build that big asset. And there's others where you can have cash flow and build an asset at the same time. And I like fitness for that, you know, so like your franchise owners can, you know, can continue to grow and, and expand what they have. And then in franchising in general, there's a built-in buyer pool of franchisees. Yeah. Like I know people yeah. that are that have private equity money behind them or just large investor money, and they are buying out other franchisees in different systems. And this is multiple different systems they're doing that with. So, and I've done that. I've grown by buying out existing franchisees. I've also sold by selling to existing franchisees. So a lot of people, you know, if it's a mom and pop business, you don't have that built-in buyer pool like you do in franchising or built-in expansion, you know, play. So it's one of the many reasons that that I really like the franchise play. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because you have, you know, it's easy when you're putting it up. You're like, hey, you're close by. Are you interested? You know, you're looking to expand it and they already know the systems. So mm-hmm. it's going to be relatively easier for them to go in and then operate it. So that actually was starting to make me think about if I'm a franchisee and I want to grow. Do you recommend, and maybe this is a dumb question, I have no idea. Uh, do you recommend that they grow geographically, like where they currently are? Or do you recommend, and that could be by adding more locations of their current franchise or adding new franchises into it. So now they are, you know, they own multiple different franchises or sticking with one franchise in particular, and then just continuing to grow out that way. Is there like a pro or con of either one or like, it's like whatever works for you? Well, I think I have done the best when, so I live in South Dakota. I live, you've been here, like you've been to my house, our dogs have run around together and, you know, we had a good time, 
but this is not like a franchise friendly place. I live in a town of 10,000 people. So I'm not going to start a franchise here. So I've had to start franchises elsewhere. Uh, I started uh, Solo Salon Studios in Orange County, California, where we went from zero to 12 locations in a five-year period and sold that to private equity. And so that the play on that one was to build a large portfolio of, of large salons. So that's what, mm -hmm. that's what we did. And that's why we chose Orange County. So we had plenty of room to grow. But I also had business partners that lived there. Had uh, yeah, yeah. a couple business partners that were local. So as I look back, I'm really glad that they were local. It's part of my strategy to have somebody local. But I I don't know that that would have been that successful if somebody wasn't able to be there quickly like they were. And but okay. we were in high oh, yeah. growth mode. We were in really high growth mode. And part of it is you know um, we had is the manager that we hired. We hired a district operational manager after we opened up store number two. So he took us from store number three from complete build out to our twelfth location when we sold the private equity and helped us through that that sale. But if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have been able to grow like we did. So. Key manager is probably more important than having the uh, local uh, local franchisee presence, but the local franchisee presence was a allowed us to really find that key manager. Yeah. So I've done it all, Bob. The most success I had was with Sola, or if I had some type of uh, uh, local or operational business partner that was that was in the area. With that said. I think um, I know I look at markets. So a market yeah. is extremely important. So I'd rather be in a killer market that's out of state for me and I can travel to versus being in a weaker market that's in my backyard. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, that's going to be, that could be the same brand. If, you have a, yep. if you're just in a better market, it's just going to generally speaking, do better if all other things are equal. Yep, yep. So. But but then you're going to hear from franchisors like the franchisee is the X factor, and which is true. So you hear this all the time: a great franchisee in an average market is going to do great. A poor franchisee in a fantastic market is going to suck, and that's all true. So if you're the X factor, if you're a good franchisee, you want to be a good franchisee in a great market because <laughs> that just makes life so much easier. And there's so many things to consider with markets, you know, so you just got to research the industry, make sure, and especially now with COVID, COVID's changed a lot of things. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, in, in the great markets may not be the great markets anymore. So I put a lot of weight into the market whenever I'm looking at a franchise or when I'm looking at franchises to sell. Yeah. Well, I think that like, I mean, for me, I know when I first opened my first two locations, I didn't really think about market. I think I thought a little bit about it, but then as I continued to grow, the market became more and more important because I started seeing the differences between hey, how this, you know, this one would perform versus the other one, but also it was me. So I could remove myself. I like, I, I do think that whether you're a franchisee, you're starting your own business or whatever, like you're going to be the most important part. Yep. You know, so whether you're in a great market or not, if you're not on top of your shit, it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. That's so true. Here's the other thing to think about markets. So if like Denver is traditionally a really good market for franchising. So let's yeah. say Denver is 20, 20 territories. If you buy, you know, 10 territories in Denver, and then let's say you are not going to open up all 10 of those, then you are in a hot market 
and they're easier to sell your unopened territories. Or there's just a larger buyer pool in certain markets. Nashville is another one. Nashville's a hot market. Raleigh, Durham is a great market for franchising in general. So, you know, you look at markets that are specific for a certain brand, or you look at markets that are just a great franchising market in general, in case you do want to sell them at some point. So a lot of what you're talking about is like eventually is going for the sale. And obviously I think about that a lot too. I didn't think about it generally in the beginning, but it's something that I recommend is any business that you start, whether it's franchising or not, you should be thinking about the sale. It like should be built to be sold. I know I made that mistake, but is that something that you encourage everybody to do? Like always think about what's the exit? Yeah. Most people don't. Most people aren't thinking that because they just, especially if they don't have an experience running a business. Once you've sold a business, you realize how great exits can be. And then you have an exit, then you can buy three more businesses and you can just start growing it that way and have an exit every five years. If you have three businesses with exits every five years, you just keep compounding that. It's a great, it's a great, a great thing. You know, Roland Frazier talks about that a lot. And so he, he likes exits. I like exits, but most franchisees, when they get into it, they're just, they're focused on leaving their job. You know, yeah. they just can't wait to get out of their job or make enough money to be able to, uh, you know, go on vacation where they haven't been going on vacation before. Those that have experienced exits or they have a lot of passive income, uh, they they think like that. So there's a lot of education early on, especially in franchise brands with franchisees who've never been actual entrepreneurs before to talk about the exits, to bring that to top of mind. So, um, or expansions, expansion into exit. And the more that you think about that, I think just the better decisions that you're going to be able to make along the way. You got to build it to sell. Like you said, you got to, and John Warlow has a great podcast on that, you know, built Mm -hmm. to sell. I was on that. I talked about the Sola exit, but you've got to build your businesses to sell. And as you are building them, once you buy them, then if you build them sellable, then that's when you have a larger exit value. And, you know, it's a great thing when you can make a lot of money when you sell a business. (laughs) That's kind of one of the perks. So I think a lot of people just think about, hey, what can I make right now? Yep, And like you said, they're just so people are getting into franchising, so stuck in their current job and they hate it and they hate their life and it hasn't turned out to what they want to be. So that is just a, too far of a pipe dream to even be just in, even in the back of their mind. But it is really important to be thinking about because that is, that's kind of like the freedom. You don't have to sell mm-hmm. having that option. And especially if you build it that way. And when somebody comes up, cause you never know the opportunities you're going to get, especially yep. if you're in a great market, you know, you have that P firm who maybe even comes in looking for you, even if you don't even have it out. And they're going to be like, hey, we like this business. We like this area we want to get in. If your stuff hasn't been positioned or built to be sold, like you're going to be driving in an uphill battle and it's going to be a freaking mess yep. and it could cost you a large opportunity. Hey, let me uh, share a couple of things too. kind of go yeah. back to one of your earlier questions, but just give some nuggets on buying franchises because yeah. um, a lot of people think, you know, they, they see a brand and they want to buy that brand and then they never hear anything from that franchise. Or they go onto the website and they click, I'm interested in your brand and they never hear back from them. There's a couple of reasons for that. Probably because they're sold out in your market and they're only going to be selling franchises in markets where they're, where they're open. So a lot of times it's too late especially in your, yeah. if you're in really hot markets, it's, it's just too late to buy a franchise there. And that's why a lot of brands that have availability are unknown brands. So you just really got to do, you got to get out of the mindset of going into the most popular brands that you see in the different magazines or whatever, because they're probably sold out. 
Also, in these magazines, if you're looking for the top this brand or the top that brand, there's not really based on how franchisees are actually performing or how great yeah. a support the franchisor gives or the technology that the franchisor uses or how great they are at helping you with sales processes and systems because those things are intangible. Like it's like the like helping franchisees, uh, you know, have a sales uh, culture within their brand. That's not common out there. Most franchisors don't have that type of thing. So you want to um, give those lists uh, probably not as much credibility as you are probably giving them now. A lot of it's just based off of data that is historical. So, you know, we're going into 2022. Data out there now is probably uh, 2020 data that came out in 2021 that is not really that relevant going into 2022. So look at the list, but just use that as a guide um, mm-hmm. And then if you see a brand, let's just call it fitness and everybody knows Orange yeah. Siri. So you want to get yeah. to fitness, you think Orange Siri, well, if you give Orange Siri a call, they're never going to return your email or your phone call because they're sold <laughs> out everywhere. So yeah. that's yeah. when you got to start looking at other other brands like Legion and, and whatnot to really see how strong they really are and if, you're, if your area is open. So anyway, I just wanted to share that about top lists that you see out there because that is probably not the best place to go to get accurate information. And you also want to be yeah, careful yeah. that brands aren't growing too fast. There's there's just a a a list of franchisors that you'll probably it's not publicized but they grew too fast and their supports weak and it's just there there's a lot of uh, not so great things about brands that are growing too fast because they usually can't handle the support. So I love brands where either they have a bunch of money behind them and they're growing, they're growing at a really good clip, um, mm-hmm. or brands where the founder is still involved and helping and cares about franchisees, takes phone calls with franchisees, and is helping brands, uh, helping their brand grow like that. So those are harder to find. That's why I like Legion. You know, you're you're uh, nimble enough to be able to do different things, to pivot and to help franchisees out. Where if the brand's too big or growing too fast, they have they can't do that. So just yeah, a couple yeah. more things to consider when you're looking at buying a franchise. Yeah, that's I think a really good point is looking at where's the opportunity. You know, if you already know the market you want to go into, where's going to be the best opportunity? Because that's kind of what you want to look at in, in any investment strategy mm-hmm. is what is going to have the best upside with like kind of while we're mitigating risk and having, you know, the least negative impact on the downside. I think, uh, you know, kind of since you were talking about franchising and you kind of mentioned growing too fast. And that's something that I mentioned on this podcast before is that's definitely something that I encountered. So when I first met you, we were actually at a conference uh, or I was at a conference. I was introduced to you. And then we hopped on a call and we talked franchising. And at that point I had already set up the franchise. I had already started growing. When I first, I just like fell in love with the sales process. I was like, I freaking love this brand. I, I sold a ton like crazy. And I did, I just, I sold too many too fast, you know? So then I had to really spend a lot of time dialing back in the systems. And the person that I called when I was like, Hey, how can I, how can I offer more support? How can I do better? You know, for my franchisees was you. And you gave me like this freaking just the playbook of how to not be a crap franchise or <laughs> so I kind of want to talk about being a franchisor because you have experience on both sides. Yep. And especially as a franchisee, a high performing franchisee, you know, what's a good franchisor. So let's say somebody's listening and they are interested in, in converting their business into a franchise. You know, they're going to be an emerging franchise or first time franchise. What are some things that somebody needs to think about when becoming a franchisor? And then, uh, you know, after this, I want to talk about a little bit as if you're an existing franchisor, what are some of the key areas you should be focusing on? But first, like I have a business, I want to franchise it. Where do I start? 
Uh, we see these in the franchise secrets Facebook group, you know, yeah. emerging franchise or, or they want to be a franchise or they come in with all these, these great, great ideas and great plans, or even worse, they just spend 30, 50, hundred grand to become a franchise or, and they have no clue what it's really like. Yeah. And there are people in there that their that their eyes just opened up to franchising. So let's help some of you that might be thinking about franchising your business uh, not get uh, disappointed once you become a franchisor. So you have a successful business, whatever it is, whatever the widget is or the service is, and, um, and you have a really good life right now. But you've had people that said, yeah, you should franchise that business. You should expand or you're thinking about expanding and growing uh, nationwide because it's such a great business. Well, as soon as you become a franchisor, you're no longer an entrepreneur in your business model. You are now a franchisor, which means your business model is now helping new entrepreneurs execute your proven yeah. successful business model. And most of them are probably not as driven as you, as savvy as you. And um, and there's going to be some that, that are going to outperform you, but you are going to get a lot of average franchisees that come into your world. And your job is now to support them and help them become um, above average in your system. So think about it this way. If you have a really good life right now and you really enjoy it and you don't want to change that, you probably should just continue doing your business the way that mm -hmm. you're doing business and enjoy your life. If you are at the point where you want to build a larger empire or you are driven by helping other people uh, kind of do what you did, then franchising is a great way to do it. But make no mistake about it. It's, it's like you take a year to get everything ready. You spend a lot of money. And you um, are selling your first uh, 10 franchises or new franchisees, and they have to be successful for your next 20 or 40 or 100 franchisees to come on board. And you're not going to get everything right with those first 10. So you're going to be learning from them, changing, tweaking your system and making everything better. So those first 10 franchisees that you bring in have to be at the point where they know that they are taking a risk on you, you're taking a risk on them, and you guys are doing things together. All franchisees go through different stages. You know, it's the glee stage. It's the it's like everybody's happy when they send you that check, and now they haven't come to training yet, and and it's like it's ready to it's ready to to pursue the dream of both sides. <laughs> And the dream, you know, starts to turn into a lot of real work on both sides and yep. you're disappointed to them. They're disappointed in you. You can't do, you know, everything right. They can't do everything right, but you're building this thing together. And then at some point, um, there's different stages that you go through, but you end up in the we stage where you guys are business partners and you understand them. They understand you. In other words, there's a franchisee's role and a franchisor's role. The franchisor's role is to make happy, successful franchisees. And the, the sooner that everyone can understand each other's roles and how what, what you can and can't do to help each other, the quicker that you get to the we stage where you're in a really good business relationship, business partnership, and you are growing a franchise into something very large which is hopefully over a hundred uh, franchisees or a hundred locations. Yeah. And uh, once you get to that point um, with a good number of happy franchisees, that's a good point for the franchisor. And 
it's really nice for the franchise or at that point too, not only from a exit or enterprise value of that brand, but you can point, you can point other franchisees to your top performing franchisees and say, if these guys did it, so can you. And it's yeah, not yeah. just you as a franchisor trying to make everybody successful. So net, net, Bob, it is, you're no longer in your business. That's really enjoyable and you're really successful and you're, you know, at the top of your game, you now have to go into franchising where it's a whole new world. You have to understand franchising and um, you learn a whole, a whole nother business. Yeah. I didn't have that insight when I did it. I just saw, Oh, look, somebody that I, I admire, they franchise their business. I'm going to do it too. And I had to learn that the freaking hard way. Yep. And I think it was, I think it was you and during one of our meetings that you mentioned that you're like, dude, it's a completely different business. Like, what do you expect? So with that, you love your life. You got a killer business. You're like, Hey, you know what? I do want to become a franchisor. I'm going to do it. Do you think that somebody can still operate their locations of whatever their model is and be a franchisor? Or do you have to be either or continue operating your locations or be the franchisor? The exception is if it is an owner operator business, if you're selling an okay. owner operator business where like you've been an owner operator, a one man show basically, or chucking a truck, man in a van, then that's what you're selling. Then you still need to get out of that business, but yeah. you could probably stay in that business a little bit or sell that business and let the chuck in the truck run that business. But most franchises are selling something that's beyond just having a chuck in a truck, beyond just owning a job. If you want to own mm -hmm. a job, that's one thing. But like, I don't think most entrepreneurs want to own a job. So let's say you want to be an entrepreneur and not own a job. And you, and you have a system, a business model, a franchise that wants to attract people that want to scale a business and not just own a job. You need to, you know, you need to have a model that is not revolving around you as the owner. And I think that's yeah. an issue where somebody that is so involved in their business, they want to franchise it. Now they, they're pulled in both directions. I'm running my business and want to franchise it. Well, you haven't, you don't really have a proven successful business model that can be run with a manager if you haven't done that yourself. So net net, get out of the get out of the day-to-day, -day, focus on the franchising because that's where you're gonna make the most mm -hmm. amount of money in the long term. You don't make a bunch yeah. of money as a franchisor. Uh, right away. You don't make a bunch of money on the franchise fees that they pay you because you have a lot of support to give, especially if you're brick and mortar like fitness, any type of brick and mortar, you get the fee and then you have to train them. And it's a, you know, six to 12 months before they actually open. So there's a lot of output that the franchisor is doing, helping their franchisees get open before they start seeing a return on that investment. So it's a, it's the long game. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, hundred percent true. Something I had to learn. And, you know, once I, I made the transition from like, Hey, even though I had managers of my businesses at my gyms, it still took my attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so, and, and when your attention gets shifted like that, it becomes very difficult, especially when you have people who are very green to business, very green to the industry, like they need that help. So kind of let's talk about that a little bit. And before we, you know, get close to wrapping it up as a franchisor, what do you think is kind of like when you're talking about giving support, what have you seen some of the best franchises do? And I'm actually asking this selfishly too, as far as giving their franchisees support. Like if you were to get another system, like what do you think that should be done? Because obviously the support and the growth of the franchise is the most important. And that comes from that, at that franchisee location. To start out, when you get your first 10 franchisees, you just need to focus everything on them, learn from them, help them, send your 
uh, you know, your director of operations out or your key staff at your corporate office, send them out into the field to learn, support, to help and help them become successful. Then you can come away with a better playbook on what it's like out there in the field as new franchisees open in different markets. So I would get the people out of the office, out in the field, helping franchisees and, and then also learning trading SOPs, just just learning. So that's number one. Once you have a a handful of franchisees out there, then it is is, uh, having conference calls or Zooms where you can learn best practices and share best practices. So many franchisors are not sharing things back and forth with franchisees. I think the best franchisors are the ones where franchisees feel comfortable coming to them and saying, hey, Mm -hmm. these are the things we're trying, it's actually working. Or the best franchisors are going out into the field and saying, what's working? We see your numbers increasing at this location where you were not doing so well. Now you're doing well. What are you doing differently? And learning from them, taking the learnings from different franchisees and distributing that out to the the field, to all of the other franchisees. So the best franchisors take all that information and give it to everybody else to be able to be successful. They also have good uh, franchise performance coaches or business coaches, whatever you want to call them. They have somebody that's designated to franchisee success. And so they, you know, they're their coach. They're looking at the numbers or helping franchisees understand the numbers because what happens is franchisees get stuck in the day-to-day of the business and they can't see, uh, see the things that they really should be focusing on. And that's really common. And that goes back to like your job as a franchisor is to understand what the franchisees are going to go through. And you got to know that franchisees are going to get stuck in their business. It's your job to pull them out of the business so they can focus on the things that actually drive revenue or the things that you want them to focus on as a franchisor. Most of the time, that's going to be being a business owner, being CEO, not being the manager, not being the trainer, not being the person you know doing everything. So I think a lot of the really good franchisors are teaching uh, franchisees how to be business owners and how to think like a business owner. Reading books like The E-Myth with Michael Gerber, like yeah. <laughs> how to work on your business, not in your business. So a lot of it, Bob, is is helping them understand how to be a business owner and taking them out of the weeds. Also, they're, they have really good vendor relationships. You know, there's there's things that vendors can be doing for franchisees, whether whether it's Facebook ads or uh, whatever it is. Um, give that to your franchisees so they can just execute and focus on the things that they need to do. Anything a franchisor can do at scale for franchisees, the franchisor should be doing. And yeah. that's going then franchisees are just going to be in the market doing the things that can move the needle in their in their local market. So those are some of the things off the top of my head. I think that's huge because if you're thinking about franchising or you're just getting started in franchising, maybe you've been struggling and you're like an early franchisor, like that is completely different than whatever your current business is. You know, especially mm-hmm. if you're the founder, like that's a whole different mindset. You're not operating the business anymore. And you literally legally can't. Like that's the responsibility of the franchisee. So you have to be able to give them the best support, which is a whole different skill set. So it's something they really have to consider if they're going to franchise and then as they're franchising. So, man, I think that's absolutely gold, especially from what you had to share when it comes to being a franchisee, a franchisor. I always learn stuff. If there's one thing that you could leave for anybody when it's getting into business, you know, whether investing anything, you know, what is that one thing that you'd you'd love to tell somebody who's just getting started? You've got to find the person that you can trust with whatever the thing is that you're wanting to learn. There's so many, so many people out there that are ready to take your money, 
tell you that they can do something for you. They can tell you the marketing secrets, the franchising secrets, the yeah. investing secrets, whatever, whatever the course that they're selling. Like you need to find somebody that's actually done what you're wanting to do. And, and they're not selling you something to validate that what you're getting, what you're buying, what you're going to do is actually true. So like I've done that. Sometimes I had to pay for that access to get uh, real helpful information. But I've, I've saved a lot of money, Bob, over the years by having trustworthy people that I can go to and say, what do you know about this? What do you think about that? And they'll immediately say, that person is uh, going to take your money and not and not deliver, <laughs> or that yeah. person's the real deal. You would never know it, but this is what they're like in private. And so, if you mm-hmm. can find a person that knows, really knows the inside of whatever it is that you're looking at, that's extremely valuable. Which I think is a great segue to say, if you're interested in franchising, that person is you. Whether it's on the franchisee side or the franchisor side, uh, so love that piece of advice. I think it's fantastic. Since they are potentially interested in franchising and learning all about this world, how can they go about finding you? Check out FranchiseSecrets.com. Franchise Secrets. There's a link there to a Facebook group that is it, the, it is the largest and the best, uh, most authentic Facebook group uh, around the subject of franchising, franchisees. Mm-hmm franchisors and franchise buyers. If you want to go to that group directly, go to franchisesecretsgroup.com or just check out Franchise Secrets. Jump into my world and you'll learn a lot for free. Yeah, and you won't, you won't regret it. Like it's, I, just, I get gold every time I hop into that group. So <laughs> Eric, dude, thank you so much for being here, man. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate your time and for you sharing with everybody kind of your world and everything that you've learned. So thank you so much. Bob, it's been it's been a pleasure. It's been so good following your journey. I've seen how you have done the right thing for your franchisees. You come to me wanting to do the right thing. I love how you show up for them and the things that you're doing in the franchise world. Um, <laughs> you go above and beyond. So I appreciate what you're doing, buddy. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Hey, thanks for spending your time with me today. I made this show to help people just like you overcome the challenges and adversity that come with entrepreneurship. So if you know someone that could truly benefit from today's show, please be sure to share this episode with them. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week on Unleashing Greatness.